Hello and welcome back to the Trading Table Podcast. I am your host, Dynasty Zoltan, and as always, I am joined by Dynasty Jacobian. How's it going? Man, it would be better if I was unemployed and had nothing to do but make trades all day, but I'm happy we're going to get down to discussing some deals that we've hammered out since our last podcast. How are you, buddy? It's been a very busy trade season for the both of us. This is a very good time to trade, I've found. A lot of uh, a lot of dynasty managers are looking over at their team, trying to set their starting lineups, realizing they have a hole here or there. And, of course, with the preseason and training camp going on, there's a lot of uh, value fluctuations in the market. Um, and you know, it's pretty simple, it. right? Like uh, every time you see a, a, a player catch a ball, their value goes up. And if they drop it, their value goes down. And you can really just play the market that way. It's, it's quite fun. It's crazy. And it, I know you and I think pretty similarly with regards to how to view training camp and whatnot. Um, but uh, I, I, I guess the weird thing about it is there are probably – 150 snaps at least in a given training camp practice. These practices last, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And you see one catch. Like, if I go out there and play football for an hour and a half, I'm going to make one crazy catch, and I am not good at football. And everyone on Twitter is going to react. It's all confirmation bias. Um, Personally, I think that most of what happens in training camp doesn't matter. The one thing that I do think matters is usage, Um, and that's something that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Because uh, you can learn some things from training camp in terms of who's running with the first team offense. Uh, does that matter? Is a certain team playing a lot more three wide or two tight end than usual? Um, some types of personnel and uh, strategy. Uh, maybe if you have a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback. Those things you can really find some key takeaways on. Uh, but I would uh, caution everyone to ignore the highlights and sell on the highlights. I mean, there was one highlight that really got my attention, and that came out yesterday, and it was Rashad Bateman reaching out like Spider-Man, pulling that ball in, doing a, doing a little tumble. I, it was a pretty impressive grab and just reaffirmed my belief in uh, the, the strength of his hands, but ah, I'm excited to see Bateman play. Yeah, for sure, and and it's I kind of have to remind myself. I mean, I've been retweeting all these Sky Moore highlights. He's lining up in the backfield, making a few good routes, but... The thing is, is you know, if you go on Vikings Twitter, you're going to see a bunch of Jalen Naylor highlights, right? Like, all of them are good wide receivers. They can all make good plays. It's especially the receivers I found because it's just fun watching them make really cool catches. But ultimately, it, it does not mean a whole lot. But what might mean a whole lot is a few rookies that are getting a lot of hype out of camp, running with the first team offense, and, and we're going to start there. So... Just to give a brief on what we're going to touch on on this show, we're going to talk talk about some of these rookie training camp risers. We're going to touch on some of the third and fourth year running backs who may or may not be in committees and focus in on what the trade value might be of these guys and whether we'd recommend trading for them or trading away. Uh, We're going to answer some listener questions. We got some good ones um, about how to deal with uh, post-startup trades, auction strategy, Javante Williams, etc., and then we're going to deep dive on some of the trades that we've uh, we've made over these last few weeks. So first of all, let's start off with some of these rookies. Uh, I know your guy uh, might as well start off with him. Uh, you were about two days early uh, on this guy compared to myself. Uh, we're talking about Kyle Phillips, uh, slot receiver for the Tennessee Titans. Um, 
I went through all my leagues, tried to offer essentially a 24th third for him. Um, about half of the leagues I'm in, you already owned him because you had all made that offer the day before. So uh, I, I wasn't too successful, got a few share, shares here or there. But why don't you start off telling me what you like about Kyle Phillips and why you think the hype is real? Yeah, so Kyle Phillips is a super dependable receiver um, at UCLA. I had no idea who he was uh, come rookie drafts. I, I really didn't know much about him until a couple weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, clip after clip, you see a dead leg juke uh, with him coming over the middle and Tannehill just hitting him in stride. And what he looked like to me was a, a young Hunter Renfro, um, a guy who can separate with footwork and just technical um, – like clean technical uh, route running. Um, so I figured, you know, like, why not shoot shoot for the stars here and go for the, the slot receiver on a barren depth chart? Tannehill has to throw to somebody. And then it, I came across this stat, uh, I believe uh, Eric Moody put it out, where Tannehill over the last two years has thrown to the slot receiver at the sixth highest rate among all QBs. And... You know, you think about Ryan Tannehill, and in a way, he's a little bit like a knockoff Derek Carr. And so I could totally see him just feeding the ball to Kyle Phillips. Uh, you know, a, uh, not A.J. Brown. Uh, Traylon Burks is still going to be your wide receiver one there, but there's definitely value to be had in a cheap chain mover who can get you PPR points from just getting, you know, four or five receptions a game for 50, 60 yards and the occasional touchdown. Um, and so, you know, Kyle Phillips, for in most leagues a couple of weeks ago, you could just get him off waivers. Uh, now, the ship has kind of sailed on that. Uh, I was shooting out offers, you know, a third and a flyer worth a third or two thirds, and pretty regularly was getting that deal done. Um, so we'll see, but I think at the cost of two thirds to have a productive depth piece um, with, you know, who knows, he might, he might be the West Welker, it's probably unlikely, but. He looks very good and technically sound, and uh, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I, I I was originally a little bit dubious, mostly because his college production just isn't there. Uh, Kyle Phillips in college uh, never went over 750 receiving yards in the season, never went over 60 targets, and even for a slot guy, he was only catching about two thirds of his targets. Uh, but UCLA was a bit of a broken offense. They did use him in the slot a lot, but they played a lot of 12 personnel, and I don't think they did a good job of putting him on, putting him in space and getting him one-on-one -on -one matchups against bigger, uh, slower players. Um, I see a little bit less of Hunter Renfro and a little bit more of Jacoby Myers, who's a guy that I like a lot. And either way, I think the point is, is you're potentially getting a guy for about a third-round pick who can give you 12 you know, 10 to 12 PPR points a game, play flex for you. And that's massive. That's, you know, we've talked about in the past why wide receiver, the value over replacement isn't that high. And it's because you can find a guy like Jacoby Myers or Kyle Phillips and slot them in your flex for, you know, a few years. And they're not going to make your team, but they're not going to break your team. And then you can go and invest in other positions. So I managed to get two Kyle Phillips deals done. Um, one of them I acquired... Phillips and a 23 third for DJ Chark. Uh, and one of them I acquired Phillips and a 23 second for Nico Collins and a 23 third. Um, to me, I, I like Nico Collins a lot, but I value Phillips more than the third and I value the second more than Collins. And the Chark trade was one for me that I would really recommend making. You're, getting a, you're looking at a guy in DJ Chark who maybe he puts up 
the same numbers as Phillips, maybe better numbers than Phillips, but Chark we have seen is not going to be an elite weapon, and I don't think Phillips will be either, but you're getting a guy who's four years younger with a lot more room to grow and to pick on top of that. And most importantly, in an offense where there's really no one else. An interesting thing coming out of Tennessee is that Traylon Burks' blocking has not been good. Um, And if Kyle Phillips is going to be on the field when they're in 12 personnel, if it's just him and Robert Woods, if he gets to that 80-85% snap share, which is what Jacoby Myers is at, which is very important, then, you know, he only needs to have a 18% target rate in order to get seven targets a game and uh, put up those 10 PPR fantasy points. Yeah, I love those those uh, points you're making. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I heard you bring up uh, Nico Collins there, and I think he's also a player that's been generating quite a bit of camp buzz. And I'd just like to get some of your thoughts there about where you see his role in that Houston offense, and if you believe in him long term. So Nico Collins is a tough one for me. Uh, As most of our listeners know, Jacob and I uh, went to Michigan together, so we do have a bit of a bias when it comes to Nico. Uh, We saw him perform pretty well uh, in some pretty terrible situations with some awful quarterbacks um, in college. And last year, he flashed a little bit, uh, but his underlying metrics were honestly pretty terrible, if we're being honest about it. Um, And that's okay. He's a rookie wide receiver on a team that... Uh, really had very little going for it, Um, and uh, he wasn't getting any plays really structured for him. But he's got good opportunity there. He's got good size, and apparently he's gotten a lot more fluid in and out of his breaks, which has always been his issue. So if Nico Collins is actually able to improve upon his route running, his jump ball ability, uh, his run after the catch ability, um, and just his physical presence has never really been a question. So if he gets a little bit better in terms of his uh, route running, I think he could easily be, you know, a almost like a DJ Chark, right? Which, like, he had a good season. Like, maybe DJ Chark without the injuries is a pretty valuable player. Uh, so I'm, I'm high on Nico Collins. I, I do value a 23-second round pick above him, just given the, the depth of that class. Um, but I wouldn't sell him for a 23-3. So he's kind of in between that range for me. He's the type of guy that I target with a wide receiver I don't like as much, plus like a third or a fourth, something like that. Yeah, so uh, Nico Collins, I agree with what you said, except uh, I think I have a little bit more faith in his ability. For me, he's really discount Cortland Sutton. or uh, I, I kind of feel like his game's a little bit less Cortland Sutton and a little bit more Rashad Bateman, but he's, okay. he's kind of worse overall. Um, but in that, in that uh, line of thought, I think he's one of the easy, has one of the easiest paths to jump from a future second value to potentially a first round value moving forward. Maybe not a 23 first, but if you bought him right now, I think you could probably get him for a 24 second and come next off season, if he puts up 900 yards with 75 catches, he could potentially be worth a uh, 24 first moving forward. Um, you know, there's really no one else there other than Brandon Cooks. Davis Mills is getting a lot of praise for the where he places the ball. And as you said, he has the size and jump ball ability to go up and get the high point balls that Davis Mills is pretty good at throwing. Um, so I really do think he has a good situation. There's opportunity there. And, you know, it's not costing much. 24 second. Uh, maybe 25 second and a 24 third. Um, people are pretty down on him. There's not much hype back around him right now. So I think uh, given what we're hearing out of camp 
and given his still low price tag, uh, worth worth the gamble, in my opinion. I agree, and you know, it's he does have a lot of space to grow there. I think Brevin Jordan's another guy in Houston who's got a lot of space to grow. I think one of them is going to break out. Um, I'm not sure which one, uh, but one of them's going to break out. Brandon Cooks, you know, last year he had, I think, a 25% target share, but prior to that, he was more of a lower target share guy. Um, there's a lot of room in that offense. They're going to be behind a lot. Um, there's definitely room for, uh, for breakout receivers there. Um, moving on to another uh, rookie who has had a lot of positive press about him. Um, Romeo Dubes is a guy that has gotten even more of a bump than Kyle Phillips. Uh, according to KTC right now, Romeo Dubes is the wide receiver 65, actually one spot after Nico Collins. Uh, I went around and tried to buy him as well. Couldn't get him for any uh, third round pick. Uh, couldn't get him uh, for two third round picks. Uh, I did post on Twitter a uh, question of how much you would pay for him. Um, and pretty much the answer was no one's selling him for less than a second. So uh, Romeo Dubes, obviously, you know, fourth round pick, potentially filling a big hole in Green Bay. Do, do you have any thoughts on whether this is for real? Not much. I've seen a few highlight clips where he's making some pretty nice grabs. Uh, but, you know, I do know Aaron Rodgers' history of avoiding new pass catchers. And I also know that we haven't really seen much of Christian Watson, um, who has been injured this offseason. So we'll see, we'll see how Green Bay um, introduces Christian Watson once he returns and if that impacts Romeo Dubes' outlook. Um, and, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I'm going to fade both of those pass catchers just on the basis of Aaron Rodgers' history of needing to build a connection and trust over time with his receivers. So I think we're going to see a lot more Alan Lazard um, and the other uh, veterans that have been there for a while. You know, Sammy Watkins is there and he's a dependable receiver where even though Sammy Watkins is nothing special, it's pretty hard for a rookie coming into the league to match that sheer ability. And while they have Aaron Rodgers there at his age, they're going to be doing everything to win. So they're not going to force play a rookie over a veteran who might produce uh, better play right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Totally. And this is a good example of where I think people take training camp hype too far. Uh, Dubes has apparently looked very good in camp. And uh, unlike Kyle Phillips, for instance, uh, he was very productive in college, one of the more productive college receivers. Um, I actually liked his tape coming out. Uh, the issue with him is that we constantly hear this in Green Bay. I think Jeff Janis, uh, Jared Abraderis was one of them. There's so many guys who are really just touted in Green Bay and never turn out to anything. Part of it is that trust thing. Rodgers is a lot like Brady uh, in that way where it takes a while to earn his trust. And even though Rodgers is the one, one of the guys talking up dubes, it doesn't mean he's going to turn into anything. Um, I do think he's, you know, a good player, and I, I would have him, you know, above Kyle Phillips right now. I wouldn't sell him for a third, but if you can get a 23 second for him, which I've, I've seen happen, then you got to do that, right? It's, it's oh, just, yeah, like it, it's just such an upgrade in terms of the talent you might get in next year's class. And, and speaking on some of the legends such as Jeff Janis and Jared Aberderis, I, I went back to, uh, What's the date here? To uh, August 12th, 2021. So uh, uh, just under a year ago. And I wanted to pull up some of the uh, 
some of the highlights. Uh, Roto Street Journal put together uh, some of the key takeaways from training camp. And I just want to read some of these highlights, uh, headlines to you, just to see how they played out last year. Uh, Joe Burrow, quote, not good and mentally struggling. <laughs> Zach Moss, consistently the Bills' best back. Looks like a future superstar. Quadri Olison, potentially the Falcons' starter. Terrace Marshall, red zone monster, being force-fed the ball. These, these, there's a million of these quotes. Nikhil Harry, Pat's best wide receiver by a wide margin. Donovan Peoples-Jones is lighting up Brown's camp. All of these headlines are not surprising, but looking back on them now, they sound absolutely ridiculous. So that might be, you might be looking back on the Romeo Dubes potential Hall of Famer headline in a few months, thinking about how ridiculous that is when he has 20 catches through the first six weeks. So beware, buyer beware, don't pay a second and sell for a second if you can. I think that's a good over under, six weeks, 20 catches. I would be tempted for the under there. I'm tempted for the under there. Um, the only reason I think I might want to push for the over is because Christian Watson has gotten a late start to training camp. Uh, now, I'm not a big believer in Watson, but if Dubes is on the field for 75% of the snaps, I think he'll catch more than three a game, but it's a decent line. You know, three catches a game is 50 catches next year. I think that's about where Dubes will end up. Um the next guy moving on to a player that I, I'm interested in your thoughts in as a, as a Clyde Edwards-Alaire fan, uh, Isaiah Pacheco uh, is apparently running with the ones in camp. Um, there are rumors that Ronald Jones might get cut, um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, highlights of uh, Pacheco catching the ball down the field. Due to my Sky More love, I follow way too many Kansas City beat reporters. Uh, do you believe any of this? Is Pacheco worth anything? I've, I've been offered a few 23 third-round picks for him. Uh, w- would you sell him? How do you view him versus, you know, Phillips and Dubes and these guys? Um, so I, I'm just going to say this. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the starting running back, and Ronald Jones is not getting cut. Um, those are certifiable facts. You can check me come week one. Um, Pacheco might make the roster. If he does, it's going to be as either the third or fourth running back he has a real pass catching ability and his size is good so like i'm not trying to write this guy off but it sounds a lot like uh darwin thompson 2.0 a little bit and clyde edwards hilaire has a pass catching ability he's more experienced he's performed well and while uh pacheco is getting reps with the one so are every other running back uh on the kansas city roster um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is dominating those opportunities. There, there's really nothing to see here. Please don't send a second for him. And if you're offered a second, please take that. Um, would I sell him for a third? Uh, it depends on really what your faith is in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Ronald Jones and if you believe in Pacheco. If I believed in Pacheco and didn't believe in the others, um, I would absolutely send a third or two just like I would for Phillips. I'm not in that boat. Uh, I, I personally am not going to send multiple third-round picks for a flyer running back. We just see them burn out all the time. And this is one of the differences, I think, between uh, you and I is I do like these backup running backs, not because I think Pacheco is ever going to have a 1,000-yard season, but I think that Pacheco might have an 80-yard week, and that'll be enough to sell him. Now, I, I completely agree with what you said 
Clyde is the starter. I think Rojo's going to make the team. McKinnon's still there. Remember, they trust him there, the coaching staff. So I don't see Pacheco getting, you know, 12 touches a game or even eight touches a game when it matters. But all he has to have is have one boom week and then you can sell him. But I largely fall among the same range as you. I'm a believer, so I would, you know, pay a third probably in an average situation, just hoping I could flip him in a month or two. But I would not pay a second. And if you can get that, please sell. Or if you can get, you know, a Nico Collins type player, you should do that. Yeah, and I mean, what you said is exactly what we saw with um, Khalil Herbert last year. You know, he took over for Montgomery when Montgomery wasn't available. Uh, Dearness Johnson as well, and Dearness Johnson still living off that one game, two games where he produced. And people were able to get second-round picks for him. So if you're able to play that short-term flip game like you are, I, I would recommend making that move. Unfortunately for me, it's not my strong suit. I, I'm not very good at making those deals, so... Um, I'll leave that dirty work to you, my friend. And, and and just to give everyone an idea of like how I do that, which by the way, thank you Sleeper for adding the ability to just tra- to click on a player and trade for him in every single league. Um, I literally just like I pick a player, I decide what price I want him at, and then I send the same offer in every league. And if I'm sending 80 offers, you know, 70 get declined eight get countered and I end up declining and maybe two accept. And it it takes an hour and it's a bit of work, but if you can get two shares of a guy at a price you like, and then when it's time to sell Pacheco, I'll send the same offer for a 23 second in every league and maybe two of them will accept. So again, it's the marginal gains that you can improve upon um, if you just put in the time, which it is a lot of time to be fair, but if you're an insomniac like me, what the hell else are you gonna be doing? You brought up Khalil Herbert, and I think that brings us to another uh, interesting conversation coming out of these training camps uh, about David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs and Antonio Gibson and Cam Akers. Uh, So these four running backs, all in their third or fourth season, all of them have been pretty successful in the past, you know, put up uh, low-end RB1 point-per-game seasons, um, been kind of the workhorse, maybe getting between 60 and 80% of the touches. Uh, But all of them, there's rumors that it's going to be a complete running back by committee. Uh, In Chicago, we got Monty uh, with Herbert and uh, Treston Ebner apparently might get work there. Uh, Gibson, you got Brian Robinson, the third round pick, as well as Jaden McKissick taking the passing down work. Uh, Cam Akers, Sean McVay came out and said that he might be splitting with uh, Daryl Henderson in a straight committee. And your boy Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, We've seen some trade rumors. He played in the Hall of Fame games. Amir White did as well and looked better than I expected. Uh, but again, it's a preseason game against the Jaguars backups. But w- w- what's your opinion on these four running backs? Who do you think is going to keep the lead role? And who do you think is due for a complete committee situation? And of course, tell us how you feel about Jacobs. So really, the two running backs here who a committee situation would be new for would be Cam Akers and David Montgomery. Um, Matt Nagy and Sean McVay have used those two players in dominant roles um, so far, but Gibson and Jacobs have already been in a committee. So realistically, I don't see anything to worry about for Gibson and, and Jacobs. And to be honest, those two players have seen the biggest drop off. Um, 
Montgomery surprisingly has maintained his value. I think it just goes to show that there's value in being consistent um, as he has throughout his career. He hasn't really been injured that much and he's put up uh, volume based point per game points. So um, I'm not really worried about any of these players, but I'm not really drawn to any of them other than Jacobs, obviously. Um, for, for Montgomery, he's the clear-cut best back on his team. He's better than Khalil Herbert. He's better than Tristan Ebner. So he's going to get the majority of the touches. Um, whether or not you think he will be given a second contract is something to worry about because he's, he's about to be a free agent. Antonio Gibson, um, McK- McKissick came back. So all that hype about him getting expanded pass work kind of died, but I'd like to push back on this a little bit because of what we saw with Jacobs last year. Antonio Gibson, year after year, has seen a growth in his pass catching ability. Uh, McKissick has been there the entire time. Josh Jacobs... And just to put some numbers behind that, Gibson has had, you know, 36 catches on 44 targets his rookie year, and then 42 catches on 52 targets last year. He had basically the same amount of receptions as J.D. McKissick last year. Yeah, and um, for Josh Jacobs, year after year, he saw an increase in pass catching as well, pass catching usage, um, and that was with a similar back in Jalen Richard in the picture, and then the year, and then last year there was also Kenyon Drake, and it just goes to show as these young players learn the running back running back position in the NFL, get better at pass blocking. If they're ultimately the best player at what they're doing, they're going to get that usage, and it's important to remember in Gibson's case that. He was a receiver in college. Pass catching is not his issue. What is his issue is pass blocking. And I think what we've been seeing is him become a better overall player. And if he's a better pass blocker, he's going to be, he's bigger. He's going to be a better pass blocker than McKissick. So I'm not scared by McKissick. Um, I'm not scared by McKissick either. I... I think the issue with Gibson, because you're right that he was in a committee last year when it came to the receiving game, uh, but when it came to the rushing game, Antonio Gibson, uh, in games that he played, received about 70% of the running back carries uh, and pretty much all of the goal line work. And and that would be the concern. I'm not concerned about McKissick. It's, It's Brian Robinson coming in. That does who I don't think is very good, but if he's going to be taking, if he's going to get a hundred carries on the season and taking, you know, fifteen percent of those carries, that that's a bad thing. I, I agree. If that's the outcome, then uh, that would be a bad thing, and it would be a worse. The worst thing, rather than sheer volume, is if he gets those goal line touches. Agreed. I would say two things about Gibson's performance last year, which was pretty disappointing based on expectations. He entered the year with shin splints and foot issues, and he pretty much played the entire season injured. Um, That being said, his running efficiency in terms of the lanes he was choosing and his vision, it was clear that he improved in that regard. So I think he became a better player, but was playing hurt. And so we'll see if if he reasserts himself. But I think Gibson is actually a really nice buy. He's probably the cheapest of any of these running backs right now. Um, I agree with you. Brian Robinson is really nothing special. Um, he's he's not bringing any more power or force than Gibson already has. So if Gibson's better, I think he's going to get the optimal touches. Um, but I think that the interesting one, uh, the two interesting ones to talk here is um, Akers and Jacobs. 
Um, so I think we should start with Akers because you have a, 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 I think you have a pretty interesting take on what we should expect from him. So my opinion on Cam Akers is, uh, I I think he's just the locked in number one back. Uh, I I've often said don't believe what you hear over the summer. Uh, as we get closer to the season, it matters a little bit more. Uh, but coaches are a liar. And Sean McVay, coaches are liars, and Sean McVay, McVay is arguably the biggest liar, uh, only behind uh, Kyle Shanahan, his good friend. So I'm not going to believe anything that Sean McVay is saying. What I'm going to believe is what Sean McVay has done in the past. And Sean McVay gives his starting running back 80% of the snaps and 80% of the touches all the time. And of course, there's a ton of context to this. You're never going to find an exact sample of what it looks like now. But when Gurley was the running back, he got all the touches. When Akers was healthy, he got all the touches. When Akers was hurt and Henderson was healthy, he got all the touches. And when Sony Michelle was there, he got all the touches. So this is a situation where if Akers looks like the guy he looked like his rookie year, if he comes back from the Achilles looking good, he is going to get most of the work. Now, the concern is, is will they mix in Henderson to keep Akers a little bit more fresh? Sure. Might it be 65% instead of 80%? Sure. But then it just comes down to evaluating what talent do you think Akers is? But out of these four running backs, I expect Akers to have a higher percentage of the touches than Josh Jacobs, a higher percentage than Antonio Gibson, and a higher percentage than David Montgomery. And he's in by far the best offense. So... Akers is priced as the most expensive of these guys. Um, just to give a little sense, Akers typically goes around the fourth round of a startup draft. Uh, he's currently ranked as RB19 on KTC. Montgomery comes in at 20, Jacobs is at 24, and Gibson is at 25. If I could flip David Montgomery for Cam Akers, I'm doing that in a second. Uh, I'm not that worried about him. And Daryl Henderson is also super cheap if you want to get his handcuff. Um, I think De- uh, Cam Akers would be my number one buy out of this group. Yeah, so um, interestingly, I, in the last two drafts I did, Cam Akers actually made it to the seventh round. Um, I, I, I think there's, I, I might be a few weeks behind on my fifth round evaluation. Yeah, I, I think that there's a real soft spot at the market for Akers right now after those comments, camp comments from Coach Beak, where Sean McVay said he had two starting running backs. And, you know, I, I think I actually have a different take on Cam Akers than you, but we come to the same result where Cam Akers is a good buy right now. Um, my take is based on when we saw him come back last year, one thing that was stood out to me was that Matt Stafford checked down the ball to Cam Akers when he was doing little five-yard curls, and, and Akers was getting 10 to 15 yards on those. And that was something that was pretty absent to his game as a rookie. You know, he, In college, he was never a pass catcher. Um, as a rookie, he caught virtually nothing. Um, but based on that small sample size and the fact that there's no one really else there in the Rams offense in the backfield to catch passes, I think Akers is going to get that usage. And, you know, if that results in 45 receptions, it's a big boon for him. A good safety net, a floor raiser. So it kind of insulates the risk of his Achilles if he's going to be used in the uh, – uh, in a, a more of a committee situation with Henderson, I would say um, Akers has not been an efficient player. Uh, Henderson has. And so I think there is a little truth to the thing where, where Henderson might take some early down uh, run game and keep Akers fresh. Um, I don't think Akers is a Todd Gurley 
Uh, I don't think he's that caliber of a player. Um, so we should measure our expectations based on who the players are. But I think, you know, Sean McVay has the history that he has. And it's a good bet to say that Akers is going to see the lion's share of those touches. Um, which I guess brings us to our, our, our next player, the best of the group, um, Josh Jacobs. So we'll start with you because you're probably going to have a, a, a more, you know, tame and, and consensus take than I am. Yeah, so... <laughs> Jacobs, uh, I think measured is the word that you were looking for, but uh, I, Josh Jacobs, he's a, he's a good player, and I think one thing to point out uh, for Jacobs specifically as a fourth-year player, and Montgomery is also in the same bucket, uh, Akers and Gibson are going into their third year, is uh, what you mentioned earlier about the contract situation. So Jacobs didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. Uh, a lot of people freaked out about it. You were actually uh, surprisingly level-headed about it and said, who cares, right? Like... It's not like the Raiders are giving him, you know, putting him in that good of a situation that he couldn't find elsewhere. And I do think there's some truth to that. Um, I scouted Zamir White, and on tape, he was my lowest ranked running back than I scouted. And I scouted 30 running backs. Uh, so I think Zamir White's very bad at football. Um, he played behind that Georgia offensive line and was pretty terrible. Uh, he put up a lot of just like counting stats, but overall I was not impressed at all. Uh, he didn't show any work in the receiving game, despite the fact that he caught, you know, a screen pass and one other pass against the Jaguars. Who cares? Um, I don't think he's going to be good. What I do he think drop. I, I didn't see that, but I'm not surprised. What I do think is that uh, Jacobs is going to have more limited work. I think that a lot of what you saw from Bill Belichick uh, and the Patriots was actually a Josh McDaniels trait, uh, knowing quite a bit about uh, what's going, what uh, the philosophies of Belichick are. He gave a lot more to his number one running back before McDaniels came to town and for the few years McDaniels was out of town. And meanwhile, McDaniels split work a lot more uh, in Denver when he was there. So I do think it's going to be a split backfield. I do think Jacobs is going to give up a good amount of the work, but I think he'll slide in as, you know, a mid mid to low end RB2, get, you know, 13, 14 uh, PPR points a game and be a solid player on your team. You know, at, at RB24 where he's at right now, it's a fine buy. I would rather have him than a guy like Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott, just because I think this year can be uh, you know, pretty good for him, and I think maybe he gets a good role next year because I do believe in the talent, not as much as you do, but he's he is a good player. Um, I just don't think you can get much for selling him right now, uh, and I don't think you could buy him for anything less than a first. So it's kind of just a hold. So I'm going to start off with my concerns, and what everyone is ignoring is the biggest red flag for Josh Jacobs, and I, like as his biggest supporter. I feel the need to bring this up. For the past two years, the Raiders have had a bottom five offensive line. They made zero changes to that offensive line other than inserting a journeyman right guard. And, you know, all the reports are this right guard is killing it. And from the uh, Hall of Fame game, he actually was killing it. That being said, like, if the, if the offensive line doesn't get better, we shouldn't expect anything different in terms of efficiency. Yeah. Um, and so efficiency has been the big red flag for Jacobs, not because, not to his own fault. He's He's been one of the top backs in yards created per touch. He's been one of the top backs in broken tackles and evaded tackles. But when you're getting, uh, you're getting contact behind the line of scrimmage every play, there's only so much you can do. 
Um, so we really need to hope that McDaniel's new offensive scheme helps out that offensive line, plays more to their strengths, and they improve as a unit. Um, that, that's for all of the Raiders' running backs. Um, now, to, to go to your point about seeing more limited usage, I, I'm just generally unconcerned with that because Josh Jacobs already has had very limited usage. You might say, say oh, well, he's, he's had 250-plus touches every year. That's true, but that's been about 55% of the touches of the Raiders' backfield. That's pretty limited. That's, that's the definition of a running back by committee. Uh, the Raiders just have his, historically used their running backs a lot, and the Patriots have historically used their running backs a lot. So I don't see the pie getting smaller, and if anything, I think Jacobs might see more usage because he is the clear-cut best back. Kenyon Drake is not looking good at all. Uh, I think Zamir White is mostly a threat to Kenyon Drake. When I saw his um, kind of change of pace nature to Josh Jacobs in the Hall of Fame game, I was like, man, this is exactly what they wanted Kenyon Drake to be for them. The change of pace, the, the lightning to Josh Jacobs' thunder. Um, and as you said, I, I came to the same conclusions after watching Zamir White's tape. Uh, great Georgia offensive line, inefficient back because he just had bad vision. I saw the same thing in the Hall of Fame game against uh, D, uh, second string Jaguar players. Um, he had one 14 or 15 yard carry, and other than that, he was getting busted at the line of scrimmage for two, 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 three yards because he was running into his own offensive lineman when there were clear holes there. A lot of people got excited about this outside pitch that he got three yards on because he bumped some guy as the guy pulled up and he was running out of bounds. It was ridiculous. Now. The one thing I will say about Josh Jacobs moving forward in this offense is the Patriots have historically done a lot of outside zone where they'll pitch the ball out to the running back. And this has, was something that was a huge thing in the Raiders offense when Jacobs was a rookie. And it is his absolute best thing. that he, it, it, It's his game. Like, honestly, you get him outside and you have, like, blockers in front of him and then he just cuts in and out, weaves in and out. He's a change of direction running back. And so you get him in space in the outside zone where he's going to make people miss. That's where Josh Jacobs is going to get those big plays. And so I think in a Patriots-style run game, Josh Jacobs is going to see a massive benefit just in terms of the fit. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm not worried about his usage. I am worried about the offensive line. My big concern is the offensive line. That's going to be the difference between him being a mid-RB2 and a back-end RB1. Um, and ultimately, his upside is going to come to come from whether or not he can maintain or increase his pass usage. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that that's all that's all quite fair. Um, so moving on and uh, switching uh, lanes a little bit, uh, no pun intended. Uh, let's touch on the last running back we want to talk about today, which is J.K. Dobbins. Um, you know, there's similar committee questions over him, but what I want to focus on um, is do we. How do we think he starts the season? He he came off the pup list. He thinks he's going to start the season. Uh, are you putting Dobbins as your RB two to start the season? You know, in, in a lineup you might have, or are you going to temper expectations? On most teams that have Dobbins, he's my RB three. Um, I'm buying him now. I expect him to have a slow start to the season. Um, but the thing is with. J.K. Dobbins is I actually think he's a premier talent. And I understand that, you know, ACL injuries, it's a two-year recovery, really. You can come back after year one, and most players don't 
perform up to their um, pre-injury levels until the second year. And we've, we've been talking about this in ter- when we speak about Saquon Barkley. Um, J.K. Dobbins is one of the most explosive players that have come into the league in recent memory at the running back position, and he's on a high-powered offense. I'm not worried about a committee. You know, Gus Edwards is farther back in his recovery than J.K. Dobbins, um, and, J- and Gus Edwards isn't close to the caliber of player as J.K. Dobbins. Uh, they got Tyler Beatty in there, Batty in there, that's, you know, a, a good player, but he's undersized. He's essentially J.K. Dobbins, but smaller and less talented. Um, so where am I at with J.K. Dobbins? It's, it's a player where I like the talent. I like the price point that I can get the talent, so I'm buying him. And I'm expecting that price point to dip even further. And when that happens, I'm going to buy more shares. So I'm probably going to enter 2023 with a, a crazy exposure to him. Um, so those running backs we were talking about earlier, let's let's ignore Jacobs, but uh, Dobbins is priced a little bit more expensive than Montgomery, Gibson, and Akers. Uh, would you would you pay to upgrade from those three guys to Dobbins, and and what would you pay? I would pay on top of Montgomery and Gibson a twenty three second. Um, on top of Akers. I wouldn't go past a couple of thirds, you know. At that, when you're talking about acres, there is this pass catching um, thing I want to see through, and I think he's an equal caliber prospect um, on an equal caliber offense uh, with l- probably the least committee concerns um, relative to Gibson and Montgomery. So. I, I don't know if I'd add if somebody wanted to swap them I would do that if someone was like give me a third I would I would give them a third and take my preferred player but I'm not going to add anything material to Acres for Dobbins for the other guys there's there are more question marks for Montgomery he's older he's in a worse offense with a worse offensive line new coach um, Gibson you know there's there there are more mouths to feed worse offense worse offensive line uh, lower caliber prospect. Yeah. Um, so I, I would add a 23 second to those guys, nothing material to Akers. What about you? Yeah, I think Dobbins is a very good buy at this point. I think one of the things people are forgetting is that Gus Edwards is still on the pub list and not going to start the year. Uh, Batty, you mentioned you're a fan of. I'm not. Regardless, he's a sixth round pick. Justice Hill is barely a running back. He's really a special teams guy. Dobbins might be really the only reliable running back in that offense for a, for a team that loves to run the ball, that just traded away Hollywood Brown, the number one uh, receiver target earner. They might go back to the Ravens of two years ago, and if Dobbins is even getting half of those car- carries, he's going to really break out. Uh, I think you should buy Dobbins kind of as soon as possible. Um, a 23-second feels expensive, but... It's so hard to move Montgomery at this point. I would probably do it on top of Montgomery uh, and and Acres uh, and probably Jacobs. I, I think it's a. I know you didn't recommend Jacobs, but I think the price you sent is fair, and I think that most people would actually accept that. Uh, the other idea is that you know most of my teams, I'm really deep at wide receiver. If you got a wide receiver who doesn't have a huge ceiling that you don't really need, but another team has a flex option, I'm talking. Tyler Lockett, Adam Thielen, Tyler Boyd, Jacoby Myers, that late second range, plus a guy like Montgomery for a guy like Dobbins. You could sell that to the other team. Hey, you're getting two starters for one. Maybe you even get a third-round pick back for that, and I think that's a deal you can push through. Yeah, and and to touch on what you said about Josh Jacobs and Dobbins, now I'm going to propose something that 
I think even you would be on board with here. Because with Josh Jacobs, you're getting a lot safer um, of a player, and he's not much older. He's a year older than Dobbins. He has no injury that he's coming off from, and we know he's going to get volume and usage, and he's going to have a safe floor. Um, I think you could probably sell J.K. Dobbins and a 23 second for Josh Jacobs and a 23 first. And I see that as a way to gain upside, gain floor, and you're really not losing much there. You, I, overall, I think that's a value-neutral deal where you're you're winning on the floor and ceiling play. I, I don't agree that you're winning on the floor. I do think that Dobbins has a similar floor to Jacobs because of what I mentioned before without any running back competition on a team that likes to run a lot. But The ACL risk. He that's could fair. Be total, he could be total crap. Sure, that's that. You're right. That's fair. Um, I basically take any side that has the 23 first. I I know they're expensive, but especially as the season's coming along, it's going to be cheaper than it has been in the past, just because teams want to win now. Uh, yeah, I, I would take Jacobs in the first. Uh, you know, basically over almost any running back other than the top few, I'm taking I'm taking a first if I can get it, especially if you get Jacobs, who's going to likely provide similar production. Now, does that hold for you if you move those over to 2024? Because some people just won't move 23 first. Uh, I would say generically, yes. It would, you know, I, I do a lot of analysis. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time putting together some models and figuring out what firsts are going to end up where. Um, it would really depend on the first for me. But let's say it's 106 and Jacobs for 206 and Dobbins. I, I would, even if it's 24, I, I would take the Jacobs side of that. Cool. Yeah. So go out and send J.K. Dobbins in a second for Jacobs in a first and see what happens. Trading Table Podcast supports that deal. Yep. And, and, and just to just in case this wasn't obvious, I would trade any of the four running backs we talked about, uh, Akers, uh, Gibson, Montgomery, and Jacobs for a first-round pick if you can get it. Um, Moving on, uh, let's touch on – we have a lot of trades to get to. Uh, let's, let's get to them shortly, but we got a few good questions from some of our listeners that I want to make sure we get to. Let's do a bit of a rapid-fire section here. Uh, I'm going to walk through the questions. Why don't you just tell me what you think? Uh, so first of all, uh, we got a question from Danger Russ, a guy that I've uh, worked helped with a few startups recently. Uh, love his style of uh, stacking the – you know. Uh, mid-tier wide receivers like Devontae Smith. Uh, after Dynasty Startup, if you have a bunch of young receivers, he's talking guys like Devonta, A.J. Brown, Elijah Moore types, uh, are you trying to be the aggressor in trades uh, or wait for the season and let other managers come to you? Um, so it depends on when your startup is. You know, um, If I was drafting right now, I, I, would, I know for a fact his startup, you know, just happened. So for startups that just happened, uh, right now we're right before the season. And people are trying to figure out how I can get points. Um, so right now people are going to be not valuing Elijah Moore as he probably should be. You know, Elijah Moore is dipping the seventh, eighth round now. It's real value. If you're pushing him on other people, they'll be like, well, you know, I didn't take him in the sixth round. For a reason why am i going to pay a premium on him now um and then you know the season will come and maybe their team's not doing so well they're going to be looking to offload their their older veteran players or 
you know, throw picks around to, to get, you know, maybe a boost uh, for some of these younger talents that are actually producing. Um, so I think that players like Elijah Moore and Devonta Smith, who are guaranteed to have significant roles and have already showed their promise, they're virtual locks to increase uh, from their current price now. So you'd be selling low just to get a deal done to better position yourself for the start of the season. But uh, you would be taking a, a, a net long-term value loss by moving those players. Now, now if somebody's coming to you for those players, then they're just demonstrating their interest. And you can treat them as if they were, you know, four or five months ago when people were like, oh, Elijah Moore is the next great alpha receiver before yeah. the Jets picked Garrett Wilson in the draft. Um, and, you know, I, I personally believe Elijah Moore is going to be a, a top-notch player in the NFL. Um, so I'd rather ride him out and see what he can do and let him establish himself. Uh, because even if he doesn't, even if he performs like Brandon Ayuk has as the wide receiver too and um, at, a, at a decent level, then he's going to maintain his current value. Um, so really there's no risk in holding him. There is definitely upside in seeing what plays out. And so you really got to – I would I would hold back, be more reserved, unless if I'm you know trying to upgrade to a C.D. Lamp or a, an A.J. Brown who is already that number one guy um, because yeah, I think no, – I- I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And uh, Elijah Moore is an interesting, like, if you look at these guys, like Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, um, guys like that who've gotten a ton of hype about them recently, I wouldn't try to sell them. If someone, there will be people to come to you. I own Elijah Moore in about a third of my leagues, and I'm getting offers every day in every league for the, for a guy like Elijah Moore. People think he's cheap, but, you know, now people know I love him, and they're not going to try to get him cheap, but... I wouldn't go out of my way to try to sell them. It's okay if you have six receivers of that quality. You know, one of them's probably, you know, Chris Olave, who you don't want to start week one because you don't know what his role is going to be. You know, it's okay to have these receivers go into the season and just sell them when they break out. If Elijah Moore puts up seven, a hundred, and a touchdown in week one, he's going to be a top 12 dynasty receiver. I'm not saying he should be, but that's where he's going to be ranked because that's how this works. So I would not rush to sell these young receivers. Uh, sell the old receivers if you're worried about uh, their production. Uh, I know you and I just came to a agreement about Tyreek Hill that we're going to touch on later. Um, but sell those receivers if you're either not competing uh, or if you just want to take advantage of a, of a sell high window. But I wouldn't feel any rush to sell guys who you know have people who love them like an Elijah Moore or, you know, a Michael Pittman. Uh, these guys who people found as second round values in the past and they just love. I, I would hold on unless you get a great offer. Exactly. And especially in the case of Devonta Smith and Elijah Moore, more so than a guy like Rashad Bateman, um, Barring some crazy injury that debilitates them moving forward, they're going to be very good players in the NFL. We've already seen that. Yeah. Uh, Rashad Bateman comes with risk because we haven't really seen much of him in the NFL, but he also is sort of insulated here because he's going to get guaranteed volume. He's the mm-hmm. only guy on the Baltimore Ravens offense. He's going to be fed the ball. He looks great, uh, great prospect. But particularly with Devonta Smith and Elijah Moore, like th- they're virtual locks to be very good NFL players. Absolutely. Uh, next question we got coming to us from uh, Tyler, uh, one of our one of our good friends on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know whether we would want Rashad White or James Cook at value. Now, I know you and I have talked a lot about this. You're a big James Cook guy. I'm a big Rashad White guy. But 
I think the at value question is important here. James Cook is the RB23 ahead of Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, Leonard Fournette, Tony Pollard, etc. Rashad White is down in the Rashad Penny, Damian Harris range. Um, to me, even if you prefer Cook to White, it is a no-brainer to take White at value because he is basically half the price, right? If you can get Rashad White for Damian Pierce or Rashad Penny or Damian Harris or Chase Edmonds, I think that's a smash and a way better value than what you'd have to pay for James Cook, which is like a 24 first. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to obviously disagree here um, just because we know that James Cook's going to walk into a pretty big role, uh, whereas Rashad White is going to come in as the backup to Leonard Fournette, which we expect to be a workhorse. Um, we do know Rashad White does have the opportunity to take over a pretty awesome role moving forward after Leonard Fournette, but Leonard Fournette's there. He's on a pretty big contract. Uh, he performed fairly well as much as we hate him. One thing I'll point out with uh, the Buffalo Bills offense, which I don't think is going noticed, is that Devin Singletary ran over 400 routes last year. Mm-hmm. He just was never targeted because he's not a good route runner, and he's not good catching the ball, and he's not good after he catches the ball. James Cook is a premier receiving talent. He's going to be running all of those routes. So whether or not he gets any run in the run game, he's going to have heavy usage in the pass game. So in, particularly in PPR leagues, I, I fully expect James Cook to blow past Rashad White this year. And as we move forward, if James Cook can take any of that run game or even the lead role in that run game, uh, I, I think it's a no-brainer that James Cook has uh, has the ultimate upside that we're all looking for from a running back. And if you want to fade him because he's 199 pounds, he's not meeting your your 200-pound model. And even if you're going to up that to 205 or 210, I guarantee you come this season, after working out with in, in NFL camps, he's going to be 205 pounds more. Um so James Cook to me is is a guy that you know he's got glowing reports. If you want to say can't, a tra- a training camp videos matter, well he, he's got video after video of him just doing little Texas routes with Josh Allen, and it's going to absolutely destroy linebackers. Josh Allen loves throwing short passes. He's James Cook's going to be a guy that he's is simply going to be fed, and we know this because of Devin Singletary's amount of routes. And what we know the Buffalo Bills intend to do with James Cook. Um, now, yeah, do you believe in recovery? Yeah, Go that's all it. fair. I, I think the, 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 few, the, the few qualms I'll make with that is, number one, there's a bigger role for the RB2 in Tampa Bay than people say. Right, Leonard Fournette has been a volume-based producer, and a lot of that has to do with his receiving work. Right, He had 69 catches last year, but... Ronald Jones and Kashawn Vaughn were basically getting half the touches on the ground, and Rashad White is a better receiver certainly than Leonard Fournette and certainly than Ronald Jones. So I do think that while uh, I don't expect him to have as large of a role as James Cook, uh, I think that Rashad White will have a role coming out of the gate, and people are underrating that to some extent. Um, That being said, I think James Cook will be better this season with all likelihood unless we see a Fournette injury. But to me, it just comes down to the value. If if they were the same price, you know, I still prefer White, but I think Cook is probably the quote-unquote right answer. But given that White is half of the price of James Cook right now, um, I do think that, you know, he is a good buy at this point. Um, We we also have fundamental disagreements on these two players' ultimate upside. We do. Oh, of course. I I am fully 
I, I'm not ever expecting James Cook to be a guy that touches a thousand yards rushing. Yeah, I think he, I think he's probably going to be a guy that at his ultimate peak is like Alvin Kamara, where you know he's getting 800 rushing yards and then a thousand yards receiving. Uh, I Josh Allen's they want to throw the ball in Buffalo. Um, and we know that they can and that it's a high volume pass game. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely think a thousand yard receiving on top of whatever rushing production he, he does, maybe not this year, but in the future is within his range of outcomes. Um, so for me, that's, yeah, I, that's an RB1. You know, I, like I think there's RB1. Say, I would say closer to 600 yards receiving. I mean, I think McCaffrey's the only running back to get a thousand yards in the last 15 years. Um, Alvin Kamara over the last five years has averaged about 680 yards receiving, just eyeballing it. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you believe in James Cook, that's the upside you want, right? Kamara's got 42, is averaging uh, 850 rushing yards and basically right. 700 receiving yards over the last five but years. But the difference between Alvin Kamara's situation and James Cook's situation is Josh Allen is going to throw the ball a whole hell of a lot more than Drew Brees ever did. Like this uh, is just I don't I don't think that's true. Drew Brees led the league in passing attempts for like three years in a row. I know, and he never was Josh Allen. Like no, and no, he wasn't. Bill's offense is not balanced. It's a it's a pass, 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 pass offense. Of course, yeah, w- w- without a doubt, you're you're right on that. But I, I, I Drew Brees was a was a checkdown king at the end of his career. Um, but right. you know we'll, we'll see. I, you're right. It just comes down to our difference in. Uh, our valuation of the two players. But I, I no. do think it's interesting that White's about half the price. I do want to just come to White's defense here because if you're looking for a workhorse mold back, that's your guy. And yeah. if you if you feel like you want that, that safe floor with upside because Rashad White has upside, he's got a good role and he can catch the ball, you know, he's cheaper and he might – there's a good argument that his upside is as good and or greater than James Cook depending on how you view James Cook. So if you don't believe in James Cook, the better play, of course, is Rashad White. Yeah, and and I think – I agree with that. Like obviously I'm a big fan of White and to me uh, the, the RB – if I have three good running backs on my team, I'm pretty happy. And if my RB4 and 5 are Rashad White and Ramondre Stevenson, which is kind of my goal for most of my teams, then I'm absolutely thrilled. Throw Tony Pollard in there. Those are the guys I like who can provide standalone value, you know, get you 10 points a game on a bye week or an injury fill-in, and also have that crazy upside if the starter gets hurt, you know, literally top five running back upside. Um, Now, I got a question for you on Rashad White as a guy who owns a lot of him. Um, cause I, I don't have any Rashad white and I found it impossible to trade for him. Yeah. You know, James Cook, I can get pretty easily cause you know, the, the market for James Cook is really, you like James Cook or you hate him. It's you pay really a, a 24 yeah. first and a couple thirds, he's yours. Um, Rashad white, you, you put two seconds together. The Rashad white owners declining that. Yeah. Um, so is there even a cost differential because I think that might be more of an ADP mirage than a practical trade valuation difference. That's a that's a good point and something I think people don't talk about enough is that ADP is not equal to trade value because in most leagues the player the manager who owns a player is his biggest fan, right? Like just by proxy, how else did they get that player, especially after the startup draft? So people taking James Cook in the eighth round of startups 
know that they have to take him there or someone else will. Meanwhile, I'm going to wait on Rashad White because I don't think he's going to go till the 10th or 11th round, and that's how you get the ADP difference. Um, I have not found the Rashad White market to be very liquid. I, I've drafted so much of him because I was out on Cook and out on Christian Watson um, that I just ended up with a lot of him via rookie draft, so I haven't tried to trade for him. And all the offers I've got to trade him away, I've declined. Uh, the one thing I will say is that if someone offered me a first for him, I would smash that immediately. Despite would you take a 25 first? 25 first. Oh, it's just so far away. I mean, it's just so far away. Like, personally, I think a 25 first is worth more. But in the trade market, I do think white is worth more. So I'd hesitate on that and push for 24. Okay. Um, that was a great question, though. Uh, let's move on and get to a question about auction strategy. Uh, Jacob, uh, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I don't think you're too familiar with auction strategy. Do you want me to just take this question? Uh, I am the world's worst auctioneer due to my impulse control issues. Yeah, so yeah. I'll hey, let you take it away. <laughs> isn't, a, isn't one of Jacob's strong suit as, uh, as the 20 texts demanding that I accept his trade immediately uh, came through while I was in a work meeting today. But... Um, Auction strategy, uh, Rai Carizales, sorry if I butchered that name, uh, asked about some Superflex Dynasty auction strategy. Um, my number one strategy would be go into it with a what you think every person would be worth. Um, the easiest way to do this is just put a value on everyone. Start with 100. So Josh Allen's worth 100. Uh, you know, what's Jalen Hurts worth? Would you trade two Jalen Hurts for Josh Allen? If the answer is yes, okay, he's worth 50. Uh, keep going down and then track the auction as it's going on. See if people are spending too much. If people are spending too much, then just wait. You know, it's going to come back around. I usually find that the best auction values are basically the first five or six players off the board because uh, people are a little bit gun shy. Um, and then it's, you know, the 70th to 100th player off the board because everyone is completely out of money. Um, you know, an example of this is I was in a $200 auction budget uh, with, with a different Tyler. Uh, we were co-managing that team. Uh, we got... Uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Justin Herbert uh, right off the board as two of the first five players, each for about 40 bucks. Later in the draft, uh, guys like Saquon Barkley for go were going for almost 40 bucks, And then I we waited until basically the 80th player came off the board. We won Sky Moore for five bucks, right? Uh, we got Kenny Pickett for like four bucks, uh, who I you know don't love, but at that value, it's awesome. So I, that would be my uh, general auction strategy. Uh, we got two more questions here. Let's uh, let's ram through them. Uh, how high would you draft uh, George Pickens in a one QB dynasty rookie draft? Uh, this is coming from Justin Tech. I, I'm not drafting George Pickens. Uh, he goes way before I think is reasonable, so I'm I'm out on him. Uh, if it was up to me, I, I mean one QB. I, I just don't play one QB. You probably have a better answer for this. Well, but. it's 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 the same thing. Just subtract Kenny Pickett, basically. Yeah. I, Maybe so, like tenth or eleventh round. When whenever whenever you see Jahan Dotson go, I think that that's an appropriate time to take George Pickens. Oh, he's asking about a rookie draft, but I I, I, I get what you're saying. So the the top eight are locked in, right? Like it's Brees Hall, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Kenneth Walker, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, and Sky Moore. Um, at number nine or number ten in a uh, superflex draft, you have your choice of Pickens, Cook, Dotson. Uh, why don't you rank those three guys? Uh, 
Cook, Dotson, Pickens. And yeah, then I'm taking uh, White after that. Yeah, I would say the same. I would actually have White above all those guys. Um, at this point, I would actually take Pickens first among Pickens, Cook, and Dotson just because I don't have a lot of shares and I kind of want to hedge. And I think if he has one breakout game, I could sell him for a 23 first. But uh, otherwise, I'm not buying Pickens. I, I did buy a share recently, but don't overpay and do not take him before nine uh, in a one QB draft. If you take him before Sky Moore or Traylon Burks or Chris Olave, uh, you deserve what's coming for you. I'm just going to say this, right? Like he's no matter what, not going to be the best receiver on that team, um, at least this year. And he is 100% guaranteed to have a bad QB this year. Um, yep. So you're looking at a player who is just, he's got a, a dark path ahead of him yep. in terms of maintaining his current value. Um, and if you do like George Pickens, because I'll be honest, I did not like the prospect. I, I thought he had some good, uh, he fleshes a lot of talent. He has some really nice tools and, you know, camp videos, he's, he's making some pretty impressive get, grabs. He's looking good. Um, I, 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 if I see a player in that situation, I'm not fully sold on him. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that dip and, you know, then I'll buy him. If I can get him for a 23 second week four. Okay, like if I like him, I'll I'll shoot over a second for him and see what happens. But I, in no circumstance am I going to now move him up into the first round territory. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I, I I agree with that. And I also think it's important to say that the uh, easiest thing to do in practice and in training camp is to make a contested catch, and that is also something that doesn't carry over to real football. So. That's mostly what Pickens is doing, so I'm kind of ignoring a lot of that. Uh, I did post a poll six days ago. Uh, what, what is the most you pay for George Pickens? Um, 17% said they'd pay a 23 first. So if you can get that, go do it. And then 42% said they'd pay two 23 seconds. I would also sell him for that as long as the seconds look decent. 36% said they'd only pay one 23 second. I'd probably hold at that point. Um, but again, it's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get ambitious with this. Don't take him before Sky Moore. Um, last question we have. I don't want to get too deep into just because I have a lot of thoughts on Javante Williams, and I'm probably going to uh, post a very long thread about this before the season. But basis of the question uh, comes from uh, Wes Cobb, a guy that we talk about a lot, uh, that we sorry play with a lot. Uh, what do we think about Javante potentially having a pitch count, a 50-50 split, etc.? cetera? Uh, are you buying the dip? Are you selling him at RB2-3 value, et cetera? Uh, how, how do you feel about Javante? So I guess like this is where I'll talk about my general philosophy when it comes to premier running back, premier young running backs. Um, what people don't realize about the NFL is that the most the player with the most physical talent often has to pay their dues in a way before they get this bell cow role simply because the NFL game is a lot more complicated than college. Um, even if you're a, a, a Melvin Gordon who's just a, kind of an above average overall player, being above average at pass blocking and, and uh, making certain routes in the NFL from the running back position is not easy to do. Um, so Javante Williams, you know, we see all the tools there. He's already proven that he's just a sheer beast. He's got tremendous contact balance. He's always getting those extra yards. He's, he's 
got everything that you need to be a true bell cow and an elite one at that. Um, but he may need to develop certain other areas of, of his game. The second thing I'll say is, uh, well, going off that, it's like, once I see that a player has the potential to be a bell cow, premier elite running back, and has all the tools, I don't care about the immediate production. I'm going to buy them regardless and, and trust the talent and just wait for their time to come because at a certain point when, that, when they actually get the usage that you know that they can get, they're going to be untouchable. And what you're essentially doing is paying slightly under what their ultimate value will be, not slightly under, under their ultimate value, and you may see that creep down a little bit and that might make you feel uneasy, but you're locked in with a safe floor and you're getting a discount on the ultimate upside. So I don't really care. It's a long-term investment uh, when you're talking about players of that level. Um, the second thing I'll say about uh, Javante in particular is just because he's uh, entering the year in a committee or what is presumed to be a pitch count, if he balls out, that's going out the window. Like, he'll just take over, and that will be that, because at a certain point, a player is too good to deny them the opportunities. And both Mike and I here are enthralled with whatever Javante Williams is. Like, this guy's an absolute beast. There's no denying that. He's a new coach. He might take It might take him some time to realize what he has there, but at some point, it's inevitable Javante Williams will do what Javante Williams is going to do. Yeah, I mean, even if he gets 50% of the work, he can be a top 20 running back, if not higher. Um, you know, he's proven he can pass, sorry, catch passes. Melvin Gordon is one of the worst uh, blockers uh, in the NFL for anyone who's actually gotten usage there. And Melvin Gordon is 28 years old. Javante Williams is 22 years old. They're going in opposite directions. Uh, what, what you said is completely right. It doesn't matter what's happening in week one. It matters what's happening by week eight. Um I expect Javante Williams to get, you know, 60 to 70% of the work, and that's enough to make him a top five running back. Even if he um, doesn't, if he, even if he's more around 60 to 65%, let's even yeah. say he's at 55 to 60%. You're talking about an offense with Judy Sutton, Alberto, and Russ on top of Melvin Gordon and Javante. This offense is going to be humming. There's going to be a lot of touches overall. Like, the great thing about having a running back on a high-powered offense is you have more scoring opportunities and there are more opportunities generally. Yep. So, and and by the way, that defense, uh, again, because I am a big Javante fan, I follow the training camp a lot, that defense is looking incredible. They're going to have – I think Denver is going to be a very good team. I think there's going to be a lot of long drives, a lot of handoffs. Javante, I am not worried at all about the usage. If you can get him for uh, Najee Harris, Brees Hall uh, – if you can use a guy like uh, Nick Chubb plus something to upgrade to him, all of these things I would highly recommend. And that's it for part one of this episode of the Trading Table podcast. On the next episode, we will be diving deep into some trades that Jacob and I have made over the last few weeks, analyzing the value of some players, uh, talking about our negotiation and our tactics for how to evaluate a team and which direction to take it. Uh, but for now, that's all from the Trading Table Podcast. As always, thank you for listening, and uh, tune in later in the week for that trading episode. <laughs>